Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goal. Hello, this is Adam Carswell, the host of Dream Chasers, and you're tuned in to the How Do They Do It Real Estate Podcast. If you like this show, first of all, you have phenomenal taste. Second of all, if you want to listen to another next level show like this, just click our link in the description and smash that subscribe button. It would be an honor for us to enrich your mind, body, and soul as well. Welcome everyone to today's podcast interview on the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Joseph Riley. And Joe is the founder of Patriot Family Homes, a company that meets the need for short-term housing near military bases. And prior to starting this company, Joe was a captain in the army and having multiple overseas deployments and previously served on the National Security Council at the White House. And so Patriot Family Homes is a veteran-owned and operated company transforming the short-term vacation rental industry by bringing professional management to small towns and big cities alike. So Joe, thank you so much for being on the show today. And thank you so much for your service. Welcome to the show. And how are you doing today? No, thank you very much for having me. Very excited to participate. And thanks to your listeners for taking some time to hear about our story. So Joe, can you share a little bit more about your background and how did you get started with real estate? Yeah. So we started the company when I was deployed in Afghanistan, actually. Wife traveled for work Monday through Friday, you know, a need to have the house while I was deployed. So we threw it up on the Airbnb and HomeAway and quickly realized that there's significant need for short-term accommodations around military bases. And so came back and got another one and another one. Next thing you know, we had several going. And then when I took out my first big loan to go buy several, the Army said, surprise, you're going to Ukraine. And so I thought, well, this is how I go bankrupt because how do I manage this super operationally intensive short-term rental portfolio from a shipping container in rural Ukraine? This was back in early 2019. And luckily, one of the guys I was deploying with, his wife had gone to West Point, was in the army, got now in real estate. And so she said, well, look, I'll take care of the portfolio while you're gone. And that's become kind of opened up what we think has been our secret sauce, which is this awesome team of military spouses that are overqualified and underemployed. And, you know, because of how frequently they have to move and the need for flexible, portable, remote employment. And so that's been a huge piece of our team. Another big piece of our team is veterans that, you know, as they come out and want to learn about real estate. And so while I was in Ukraine, continued to grow. And then I went to the White House and I was on the National Security Council at the White House continue to grow there. And then I left the army and joined full-time with the company back in February, 2021. And so since then, it's just been kind of, you know, cranking along. We're now in, I think, 13 different states and about 26 different markets. So grown quite a bit. And in addition to owning homes, we also run a rental arbitrage business where we'll come in and sign a three to five year lease and then turn around and sublease as a short-term rental And then we also manage. So we manage for people who want us to manage everything from managing one or two vacation or investment properties all the way up through. We have people that want us to manage 100 plus homes for them in a more kind of integrated portfolio. Oh my goodness. Wow. That is so incredible because it's like you stumbled upon this 
niche where there was a need for short-term rentals for the military and for people who are deployed accidentally through your own personal need. Yes. So I think that's oftentimes the best way to figure out things is by your own experiences. So, and we've loved working with, and we're no longer exclusively around military bases, I should say. That was kind of where we got our start and was the bulk of our portfolio for a long time. And it's still probably the majority of our portfolio, but we've branched out in a more diversified approach in markets other than military towns as well. So one of the questions I have is, as you were deployed in Afghanistan, you were building up your portfolio also. And then before you got to take out a loan to buy several other properties, how did you purchase your first couple before that? Was it just all on your own? Or did you also have loans? Like, How did that work for you? You know, our first house was just that, right? Was we bought it on a VA loan and then we just used it. You know, we didn't intend to use it as a short-term rental, but when we weren't using it, we did. And then after that, we bought a couple more on kind of conventional Fannie Freddie backed deals. And then when we had a little bit of a track record, then we were able to go to the bank and get a line of credit. So then we would buy things on the line of credit, rehab, and then roll them off at the new appraised value onto a loan. So we did that. And then we started working with the kind of larger regional and community banks. And then we started working with some larger institutional style lenders. Got it. And so I guess as you've been building up and scaling, did you ever hit a point in time where... Because I know like with single families, when you take out personal loans for yourself, I think you're capped around like 10 single family homes or something like that. Is it the same thing with the VA loan? Are you also capped? Or as you started to scale and grow bigger and your portfolio started to continue to grow, how did that transition happen or what needed to happen after if you hit a certain milestone? Yeah, I think that like you're capped at no more than 10 secondary market loans, which was kind of a shame because those are really good terms, you know, great 30-year amortization schedules, low interest rates, good loan to value, but you're kind of capped there. And then within regional and community banks, they typically have a limit to one borrower and a out-of-market lending, you know, restriction. So you kind of got to work through that. And then you're more your kind of private money lenders like Lending One, Lima One, those sorts of companies. They don't have those restrictions. And it's really based more off, do you have the money to put down for the down payment? And do you have a track record that they feel confident in? And if so, then they've got plenty of capital and they'll lend anywhere in the country. So then when you were in Ukraine and you decided to... So happened that one of your friends had a military spouse also who had previously been or who is now currently in real estate running some properties. What kind of communication did you have with the property managers to actually run your short-term rentals? So we manage everything in-house. And so then we have a we've spun out a property management company that not only manages our stuff, but manages for other people as well. Got it. And so then how do you also get the word out that as you were starting to build out within the military base around those areas, serving those needs, how did you start to get the word out that these types of properties were available to those who needed it? Yeah. I mean, we still use Airbnb, VRBO, Booking.com, Expedia, TripAdvisor, Furnish Finder. There's a whole list of different platforms that we use. And then a lot of people who then stay with us will come back and book directly with us. We also work with insurance companies. So let's say your house burns down or has water damage. Insurance company has to put you up. So they put families in our homes instead of having to split them up across a bunch of hotel rooms. And then we work a lot with kind of traveling nurses and other healthcare professionals. And then we work a fair amount. And we've got some contracts with different local manufacturing companies. And we've had contracts with FedEx and UPS. 
so we do a lot of traveling trades workers and other things of that sort. So it's a mix of the kind of typical platforms that you think of, of Airbnb, VRBO, Booking.com. And then also we've got our own kind of direct channel and leads. How do you start to build up those types of relationships for those types of leads? Like you mentioned FedEx and all that stuff. How do you start to build up that relationship? Usually happens with someone just kind of staying with us once. And anytime somebody books with us for more than seven days, we say, hey, what's bringing you to town for, you know, it's not a typical two, three day stay, what's bringing you to town. And then they'll let us know, oh, well, it's traveling for work. I'm an insurance client or whatever it is. And then we just kind of trace it back to the source and the decision-making authorities from there, and then set up calls with them and decide if there's a way to expand the partnership. Got it. And so then in terms of like turns and all that stuff, how do you find that management of that as people start to leave and then you're getting it ready for the next one? You know, because it's not doing like the quick types of weekend turns and everything like that. You're doing it a little bit, they're listing a little bit longer. How does that process look like for you guys? So we do have a lot of, you know, we say we have a trimodal stays. We do have your kind of typical two, three day weekend stays. That's still a large portion of the business. And then we have your kind of traveling work crews that are typically somewhere between like five and 10 days, maybe two weeks. And then we have our longer insurance clients that are a couple months at a time. And so we have constant cleaning crews. And so it's been a longer stay. Let's say it's been more than a couple of weeks than we'd probably do, you know, more of a deep clean than just kind of a normal turn. And then we just differentiate that in terms of what we ask the vendors to provide. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. And in terms of acquisition, do you look for specific things that determine whether or not you're going to rent it out as a short-term rental or something that's going to be a longer-term rental? Is there anything within that property that makes it differentiating or is there no difference at all? So you're asking based with, and when you say long-term, you mean like 12 months or like, you know, are we just going to try to list it out for couple weeks or a couple months instead of a couple days. Yes. The couple weeks versus the couple days. So a lot of it is just market, you know, we have the benefit of scale now. So we will experiment. We'll basically run random control trials. So we'll take two similar properties and we'll run one with a two-day minimum stay and one with a seven-day minimum stay and one with a couple week minimum stay and just see kind of what the market demand is for that. And then often what we'll do is we'll differentiate. So if it's a let's say we normally have a two week minimum stay on it, then we'll do something like inside of five days, you can then book it for two days, right? So like we haven't gotten that long-term booking that we wanted yet. So we'll allow a last minute booking that's you know, two or three days. How many days typically does it take like to break even for you guys, like to have vacancies on that property or if you guys even have any vacancies? 
we typically run about a 70% occupancy rate is typically where we run. And that's blended across both those stays that are longer and take up 100% occupancy, but maybe have a little bit longer gaps between those stays. And then your typical kind of, you know, someone's in the house for a couple of days, out of the house for a couple of days, in the house for a couple of days, out of the house for a couple of days. And then I'm kind of curious also, you know, in terms of the markets, like what kind of markets do you guys look for as you're doing a short-term rental space? What markets are you most interested in it? And how do you evaluate these different types of markets that makes it the most beneficial for your business model? We look at essentially at the macro level, we're looking at average home values compared to short-term rental revenue potential, right? At the most basic level, you want high short-term rental revenue and a low average home value because that is getting, you know, we say we're looking for cheap real estate markets with a lot of churn is another way of describing what we're looking for. And so beyond that, you'll find some more micro level factors that we might want in terms of like, is there a military base nearby? Is there a university? Is there a major hospital? Is there like a tourist destination? And typically when we go for tourist destinations, I describe people where the Poconos, not the Hamptons, if that makes sense about the types of kind of where we're looking to be and the guests we're looking to cater to. Got it. And so as you were purchasing and then as you were implementing this type of business plan for the short-term rentals, was there any one of the properties that you had owned that maybe wasn't performing as well as you had originally thought? And what was the case for that? And how did you guys turn it? You're asking if we bought a property, it did not do as well as what we had hoped and what was the result? Yes. The biggest time when things don't go as well as what we'd planned, it actually does not have to do with revenue or the short-term rental piece of it. It's just the normal risk you run in buying real estate of buying a lemon house. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the, It's not that we bought the house and the short-term rental revenue was less than what we thought. It's that we bought the house and we thought we were going to have to do $5,000 worth of work. Then we pulled back a layer and then it wound up being 35 or 40. That's obviously an extreme example, right? But that is, I find when we work, it's challenging working with someone who just has one home. Because if you have 100 homes, then I can tell you pretty consistently what your return profile is going to look like, right? Because law of large numbers starts to, you know, those at, we start to be able to have consistency in those averages. If you just have one home, then you might get the rock star, right? Like no issues, the revenue is better than we expected. The margins are better than we expected, you know, just crushing it. But you might also get the lemon. And so like I'm thinking of current owner that we have that is very frustrated with us on one property. And she's like, this house has been a disaster and, you know, all this other stuff. And it's like, well, yes. You bought a relatively, it was a $110,000 house and it had issues, right? Would it have more issues than we expected? Yes, but that's part of it. But then this other house that she's got, I mean, is crushing it. And so it's like when you've got only a sample of two, you've got a really good one and a bad one versus if you have a hundred, we would say you probably get somewhere between 80, around 85 good ones and 10 to 15, you know, not so good ones maybe 85 good ones and 10 okay ones and five really bad ones. (laughs) But if you have just the one that's really bad, then it seems like the whole world's, you know, terrible. But that's the biggest issue we have is not really on the rental side of it. It's more the just issues that come with homes, you know, particularly on the maintenance and repair side. 
So then how do you also look at, as you're looking to purchase and continue to grow, what are some of the different ways that you find capital to be able to continue to scale up and to purchase more houses and expand the business? When we are looking to, you know, so we started partnering with folks, as I mentioned, and these kind of managed account structures. So they'll say, hey, look, I've got X amount of money I want to put to work. Can you help me go find houses, identify markets? And so we're then fully vertically integrated to be able to help identify a market, identify homes within the market, facilitate the closing on those houses. We can help people coordinate renovations then we can help provide setup services. And we have our own warehouses where we warehouse all the furniture so they can buy the furniture direct from the warehouses. And we've got crews that can go and install it and then manage it. So the biggest way we recruit capital is just being able to offer a fully vertically integrated solution for someone that wants to enter the space, but isn't trying to, doesn't want to do all the work themselves. How has the difference been when you decided to convert everything and become a vertically integrated company versus when everything was separate and you were outsourcing different services? We still out two parts of that. One, we never really outsourced management. We always did that internally and we always internally did acquisitions and rental oversight and all of that stuff. Most of the things we outsource are things like filing, lodging, and occupancy taxes or paying property taxes or very discrete, defined, typically related to accounting skills that companies that just specialize in doing that over and over and over and over again can achieve greater economies of scale and frankly, do it cheaper and more efficiently than what we can. But the core aspects of the operations of the business, we've always done in-house. Got it. What has been the biggest challenge for you so far as you've been building up and scaling to where you are today? I think finding lending and financing is always a challenge. And at the most macro level, it's balancing labor and capital, right? So at times, the constraining factor on our business's growth is that we don't have enough capital and we've got an excess capacity in terms of labor. That becomes expensive, right? Because if you have too many people, your overhead's getting hit too heavily, particularly if you're a growth-oriented company like us, where roughly 70% of your overhead is focused on growth and you stop growing, then that's a lot of overhead you're carrying. But then the challenge you run into, all right, then the, you know, we get an investor comes in with a large pool of capital, and now you're trying to get the labor capacity to be able to go out and deploy that and manage what comes on behind it. So that's the biggest thing is managing your overhead and capital as it relates to growth. And the biggest way we've tried to create some flex in that is with the rental arbitrage model, right? If labor is the constraining factor and we've got a lot of capital and we need to like all hands on deck to go deploy it, then we kind of turn the rental arbitrage business off, right? And then if all of a sudden we're kind of waiting on the next capital source to come in, then we turn the rental arbitrage business back on because it's not capital intensive, if that makes sense. Got it. So what are you looking forward and what's your next focus? Next focus is trying to land a couple of these larger kind of capital partnerships that kind of help allow us to scale up in a more predictable way. So what you really want is a dedicated source of capital that has a clearly defined deployment timeline on it, right? So that you can then benchmark and manage your overhead to be able to efficiently deploy that capital and without kind of having too much flux in in your overhead. So that's the biggest goal is trying to get those larger capital partners in a kind of predictable and scheduled way. 
And how are you finding the large capital partners or what do you look for in a partnership? Yeah. So looking for a lot of times, it's kind of a family office or a high net worth individual that is looking to put the money to work. And we want someone that understands real estate. So those are basically the criteria. You know, Are you an easy person to work with or a good partner? Do you have an existing understanding of real estate? And then you have the kind of capital that we need to kind of scale up a, a new entity. So how has real estate investing impacted your life so far, Joe? you know, allowed me to kind of work for myself and given me a lot of flexibility and autonomy, helped me build a great team and great company that I'm you know very proud of and love working with every day. So then if there was one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? It's not mailbox money. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what people tell you, at least not in the short-term rental world. In some other asset classes in real estate, it's mailbox money. The short-term rental revenue, I think it's one of the best kind of revenue sources out there, but it is a lot of work, particularly compared to managing other real estate asset classes. So for you, what has been the biggest resource that you've been able to utilize to help you figure out the next steps as you've been building up and learning the space? Yeah, I think that some helpful mentors just in terms of you know general business acumen, and then some people who've helped me understand the kind of real estate piece of it as well. And there's some great tools out there, software and stuff that we use. But I think that's the biggest thing is having a couple of people that you rely and trust that have been there before and can kind of help show you the way. And then what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? I think pragmatism. I see too often and I get guilty of it too. I'm like, oh, this is a great house. This is a beautiful house. It's a great view. I'd love to, you know, but you've got to let the numbers. And some people are truly creative, right? And they can take something that's nothing and make it something really special. But if you're like somebody like me and don't have much creativity, you've just kind of got a plain Jane run of the mill and you just got to follow the numbers, right? And don't allow your kind of, desire of what you would like something to be influence your underwriting of what it actually is. Yep. Fall in love with the numbers first. (laughs) Right. Awesome. Well, Joe, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing everything that you did with us today. For our listeners out there who are interested in finding out more about you and your company, where's the best place that they can go? Go to patriotfamilyhomes.com or they can email us and there's a little contact information thing that you can fill in there or you can Email us at info at patriotfamilyhomes.com. We're also on Facebook, Instagram. So any of those places, our team here at Patriot Family Homes would love to have you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Joe. I really appreciated your time today. And thank you again. All right. Thank you. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com 
and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.